Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's Believe in NBA Prospects Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. So many things have happened since we've talked last week. Uh, you know, we had a little, little step backs. You know, my man Troy was over here stuck in the dark for a couple of days, <laughs> but we're back in the building. Talk to me nice, bro. Tell me how you feeling now that you got the lights back in your background. I, 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 we have to apologize to the, the, the NBA prospect listeners. You know, I do apologize. There was a, there was a storm here in Michigan over the mm-hmm. weekend in which, a tree fell on a power line. Ironically, <laughs> of all the houses around here in our backyard on our power It would be line, yours. It would be me. So we, we fell victim to a power outage for three days. Three yeah, days. But now we back. Lights are on. Feeling good. I'm here with my man, Robert Bruin. And I'm ready to do this. So a top 30 prospect decides to commit to Ohio State Wednesday, and when I when I say a, a, a top thirty prospect, I'm speaking of Malachi Branham, who decided to commit to Ohio State. He'll be Ohio State third top ten prospect that they've been able to c- c- get commit so far. So I'm I'm excited to see what this kid can do. Um, he's about six five. He's great mm-hmm. at, at rebounding the ball, getting to the basket. He's strong. He has a sturdy body frame. So I think that that's going to be great for Ohio State again. On top of those, getting two other top 100 prospects so i'm looking forward to seeing what ohio state thinks what do you think this is going to do for this team it's going to be good it's, it's been a little minute since ohio state has been really in the conversation too so mikey williams is finally down to 10 schools jonathan kaminga signs to the g league so now he's about to be a part of that pathways program with isaiah todd and, and Jalen green and the list continues to grow mike tyson is set to fight september 12th against Roy Jones Jr., which should be a classic, even though they're still older. Charles Barkley has Steven Jackson's name in his mouth, and Steven Jackson is not having it, and we have so much more ahead for you guys. So just to give you guys a quick update before we even start everything up. So straight to it. Mikey William narrows down his college list to 10 schools. You got the USC Trojans, the Memphis Tigers, Arizona State, the Kansas Jayhawks, San Diego State, and HBCUs are North Carolina Central, Tennessee State, Alabama State, Hampton University, and Texas Southern. I know it's a lengthy list, but I thought it was important that we, we throw all of them out there. Tell me what you think about which schools he probably may commit to. Listen, we, there's been so much hype. There's been so many question marks around where Mikey Williams is going to go. And me personally, I'm still riding – the spectrum that he's going to commit to a HBCU. So I'm looking at some of those schools that you name when you talk about Hampton University, when you talk about North Carolina Central, talk about Tennessee State. We talk about those schools. Those are the schools that I'm seeing him committing to. And again, the gym that I keep in the back of my mind is his mother went to Hampton University. So mm-hmm. I st- I still, I'm still riding the wave that he's going to commit to a HBCU. 
top 10 schools. I'm sure that they're all eager and biting their nails on where he's going to go. So again, he's class of 2023. So we'll just have to wait and see, but stop, stop leading us on Mikey. Come on, man. If you're going to commit, if you're going to do it, do it. But if you're not, do it. then you know, do whatever makes you happy. Yeah. I'm still sticking to my guns on it. I believe it when it happens. There's been plenty of situations like we've spoken before where athletes have said that they were going to choose a certain school and then chose to go elsewhere, meaning a PWI. So I really believe, in my mind, the three schools that I see are the USC Trojans, Memphis. I could see him playing under Penny Hardaway. And Memphis came off of a strong last year, even though they lost James Wiseman. They have Lester Quinones, and they have Precious over there, which um, those two are actually going to be heading towards the NBA this upcoming in a few months as well, too. So, um. It'll really just be between Memphis, USC, and Hampton for me. I don't see him going anywhere else, but I'm, I still have the PWIs outweighing the HBCUs when it comes to him. Well, if, if he weren't to pick an HBCU, I would love for him to go to ASU. And when I say ASU, I mean Arizona State University. I saw that they just reached Alabama State Josh or Arizona State? Arizona State. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I see that they just but see, got job. But the thing but, with that, though, is Josh Christopher – He's going there in this upcoming season, right? And mm-hmm. he he's going to be a one and done or two years. So I don't even mm-hmm. think they would be able to play with in terms of the time frame. Because remember, Mikey is twenty twenty three. So what you so do? You still think he would still be there? I, I, st- I still pick ASU. My whole point of being where the program is going. I like the coaching staff from Bobby Hurley. Mm-hmm. I like what he's been able to do. I like how he's starting to take these point guards and shooting guards and putting them in positions to be NBA ready. And then again, like you just said, them getting a prospect like Josh Christopher, that means that there's something in the works and there's something that fits that style of play when you talk about a guy like Mikey Williams being his size and the way that he could play around the basket. Same with Josh Christopher. So I think that this program is up and coming. So if he weren't to pick an HBCU, I would love to see him out in Tempe playing with the Arizona State. And I also saw, too, uh, on the internet earlier today or yesterday that the CIF, they locked in a few games. So it looks like San Ysidro will be playing Sierra Canyon. So we'll be able to see that Mikey Williams matchup versus Bronny James, which is, is going to be a good one. Um, the math is on there as well, too. Do you have Mikey Williams being better than Bronny James right now? 100%. 100%. By far? 100%. But okay. that's not to say that's not to say that Bronny can't come out of a different bag this upcoming season. We did see him say that this upcoming year he's going to be a different breed. So if he's living by what he's saying, then we have to see what he has in store, but Right now, based on their performance, based on their productivity, and based on their leadership with their squad, I would have to go with Mikey Williams. Okay. I can't knock that. Yeah. And Bronny doesn't have as much hype around him, I would say, as well, too. Mikey Williams is just – I mean, he's more explosive right now, you know, which we can say. um, He can shoot as well. But what I will say is Bronny has a great IQ. He passes the ball very well. I would say he's a better shooter right now. He's definitely got more explosive since last year to now. So, um, but I mean, him and Mikey, when we're talking athleticism, Mikey is still, he's, Mikey's been dunking since what, like 12, 11, 12. So um, Mike, Bronny started dunking what, last year? You know, he's dunking all this season. So, but yeah, I, I could definitely see that. We'll just have to wait to see. I'm glad that the CIF decided to make that happen. So that's going to be a highly anticipated high school game. We talk about Sierra Canyon and Ysidro facing off Mikey Williams and Bryony James. 
experts have Imani Bates seeming to be the best NBA prospect since LeBron James. He obviously won the Gatorade Player of the Year, which is amongst all of the athletes out of, you know, the entire nation. But I'll throw a couple stats out there for you because I know you like numbers. He's 6'9", 180. He's a forward. He averaged this past season 33.1 points per game, 9.1 rebounds per game, 2.9 assists, and 2.3 steals per game. Now, Braun, his sophomore year, averaged 25.3, 7.4 rebounds, and 5.5 assists. He was Mr. Basketball of Ohio, and he was first-team wide receiver because, remember, he played football as well, and he was the state tournament MVP when they, when they made it to the state, so... Numbers don't always tell the entire story, but what, what, what's your take on that? Can I ask you one question before I answer? Yes. What, what school did Imani Bates commit to? Michigan State. Okay. I, I, just, I just wanted to hear you say that. But when you, when you talk about comparing... So you're, you're, you're excited for that. I, I'm geeked. I am ecstatic. I would love to Do you to be really think stand. he's going to go, though? Like, if he was a senior, do you really see him still signing to Michigan State? He signed at Michigan State because he has two years left. You one thing he's I, going I, straight to the G League? I don't. And one thing that I take away what he said when he committed to Michigan State was the loyalty and the consistency in which Michigan State pursued him with. When you talk about a kid of this caliber, like you just named, all the achievements that he's been able to achieve, him being one of the top prospects that we've seen, and for him to say there weren't even many schools that were contacting me when I was at this level, when I was this age, and to now have all these same schools running after me when Michigan State has been right there by my side since those days, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a 1,000% so that he's going to play in a Michigan State jersey. But when you, when you talk about comparing him to LeBron James, I think we have, to, we, have to give it, we have to give it a little bit more time than that. You know what I mean? We're talking but about when we're, we're talking sophomore season, though, when, when we're looking I, at the number. I know, and it, I mean, I don't know if we have to pull up LeBron James's high school or sophomore <laughs> highlights, but we're like that was he was down there, a grown man out there playing as a sophomore. So I think that when you, when you look at you know their their style of play, I think that you could pick things apart that look similar. But when you talk about their ability to dominate the game in their sophomore year. When you talk about a LeBron James compared to a Monty Bates, I don't think that's comparable. LeBron James was owning high school basketball his sophomore year. And like Imani Bay said, there weren't many schools calling from seventh grade, eighth grade and up. They've been calling LeBron James since he was in the sixth grade. So I think, you know, you just, you have to, there's people that paved the way and LeBron James just happened to be one of those, but it's great to be in that conversation with LeBron, but Imani Bay still has a little bit of work to put in. Yeah. I, I'm not, I don't think that numbers always tell the full story. Imani Bates average more points, but LeBron, I feel, has always been gifted in a way that he's been talented enough to impact the entire game, right? He knows how to make everyone around him better. It's, it's proven. Uh, he said the other day, you know, many people said that if I was in the West, that I wouldn't make it this far. Or I wouldn't be in that conversation. And that really took me back for a moment because everybody would always say he's only nice because he's coming out the East. But yet the Lakers are number one in the West Conference, Western Conference right now. So, I mean, what's, what's the situation now, you know? And not to – we can't say the other teams aren't stacked up as well, especially when we're looking on paper. But um, just to get back to that point, I don't – I think it's an honor to be in that conversation and to be 100% honest with you, in high school basketball – the kids aren't playing defense as much as they used to. 
not to speak down on them, but they're just not. It's, it's a strongly offensively based game now. You know, it's about scoring, right? And me and you both know LeBron has always played both sides of the ball. So I personally would never even really put Imani Bates in that conversation with LeBron. The numbers, his numbers are better, but as a whole, no, I can't say that. On top of him playing two sports at one time. So I'll have to agree. Yeah, that's just how I see that. Now, Miles Powell and Marcus Howard. Miles Powell went to Seton Hall. He got the Big East Player of the Year. Marcus Howard went to Marquette. Silky smooth guard. They, he, they really just stand out to me because I think they're both under the radar. They get a lot of recognition, but I think they can be missed. You know, I have a thing for saying that uh, people can have the spot to be backup point guards. I think these two gentlemen are on go. I think they can start on any team in the NBA, especially the weaker teams in the NBA. Marcus Howard, I believe, averaged, uh, let me pull up his stats real quick for you. Miles Powell averaged 21 points his senior year, four rebounds, two assists. And then Marcus Howard, he really surprised me because of his growth each year. Freshman year, 13 points. Sophomore year, 20 points. Junior year, 25 points. And then last year, uh, this year, current year, he ends with 27 points, three assists, and three rebounds. His game is elite. He's a baller. I'm talking about he's aggressive from the tip of the game all the way down to the end. And it doesn't matter who he's playing. He's a little undersized. He's like six feet. 6-1, so that might be the weakest parts of his game, but I, I think that man deserves a spot on the roster, hands down, especially when they played against each other, even though, you know, Seton Hall managed to win that game, but Marcus Howard, I believe he had like 37 in that game. He's, he's a baller. He's a baller. He, he's a true point guard, and he's just a true stud. Marcus Howard, who plays for Marquette now, I've had the opportunity to watch him since high school. I went to Mountain Point High School. He went to Perry High School, which were in the same district. So I, I've been at games and participated in games where him and his brother, Jordan Howard, who played at Central Arkansas, <laughs> now plays overseas, has both come and give our school, Mountain Point High School, 30 points each. So mm. this, 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 this is nothing new. I, I've seen this potential and I've known this talent, but to now see it play out, and again, like you say, to see him progress every single year, to yeah, go to his first cute. year averaging 13 to last season averaging 27, that's a that's big huge. jump. That's huge. That's huge. a big jump. So I think to, to, to see that progress and to see that heart and that tenacity that he has and the way that he represents for Marquette, I, I definitely think that, um, that that's someone that should be on everyone's radar because the dudes are just a true baller, man. And I know his height wavers a lot of, you know, his defense. When you talk about his defense, when you talk about his ability of, of finishing around the basket, I do think that that will cause some problems, but those are things that can be worked on on top of the true talent that he possesses now. So I'm excited to see what, what he's going to do. Now, let me ask you this. If you're a GM, right, and you're, let's say, your starting point guard is, let's just say Ben Simmons, right? Are you even recommending Marcus Howard, or are you just going to pass up on him and try to get back to him? Like, are you taking him as soon as he's available, or is he the type of player you think you'll circle back around if he's still available? So I think that decision has a lot to do with what 
my team needs. So in okay. that position, if, if, if I'm in, if I'm Philadelphia and I have Ben Simmons as my starting point guard, Marcus Howard may get overlooked because I, I have an all-star him. point guard right now. And I feel that there's other avenues in which they can improve on. We talk about getting someone at the power four position. We talk about somebody being able to be a strong defender and a strong rim protector that'll be able to back up Embiid when he's not in the game. So those those would be the things that I would be looking for if I was a team like Philadelphia. But if I'm a team like the Detroit Pistons, I, I, mm. I'm I, I need him. Up. Like I, he can come play with us. Like let him come run. You know, playing behind Derrick Rose and the leadership that he has and the skills, the skill set that he possessed at this point in his career, and being a part of a process that's still trying to grow. I don't think that you know he's he's a talent that will be able to come in the NBA and, and change an immediate change impact. The of a team, make an immediate impact. Mm. But I, but I think that. Being on a being on a team where he's able to grow behind someone who who kind of has the same skill set and possesses the same talent in which he does, I think that that would be good. So it depends on what team you are and what you need for your for your squad. So then that kind of goes back to one of my favorite points. Does that make him a backup point guard, or like you use the example Derrick Rose? Do you slide Derrick Rose to the two and put Marcus Howard at the one? I would love to see that. But again, we, 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 we have to see. It all depends on what, what, what can be maneuvered, who can be picked up, what spots can be implemented. So it all depends on, again, what your team needs. But to see Marcus Howard playing the one, Derrick Rose at the two, I th- that would be a pretty sight in Detroit. Okay, I respect that. What, how you feel about Miles Powell's game? Miles Powell and what, what he's been able to do with Seton Hall, I think it's been great. Like you said about Marcus Powell or Marcus Howard, excuse me, he's progressed every season and the leadership that he's possessed, how he's performed under clutch situations. Under you know, pressure. when he's a freshman, he was 250 pounds. Yeah. So, so his, his, his hustle and his grind has been more than just his game and how he does mm-hmm. and on the court. He's been having a great diet. He's been eating well. He's been staying in shape and the better his shape has been, the better his game has been. So I think that's good, but you always have to question when you talk about someone who's, whose size is, probably their biggest question you have to wonder how that's going to transition when you talk about playing at the the NBA level or the professional level so I think that that's always going to be a big question but when you talk about him performing under pressure him being able to get to the basket finish with contact he can do that better, he can do that he can facilitate and he can hit big shots on big moments mm-hmm. so I think that him having those abilities is definitely he's someone who I would have on my list but again I would have to have the same situation as as Marcus Howard. It all depends on what I need for my team. You know, people like Marcus Howard, Miles Powell, uh, Shamari Pons, he went to St. John's. They some some of those type of players, they end up going undrafted. But I think with two or three years of experience, they'll be right exactly where the NBA needs them to be. And I still think they can go in and make an immediate uh, impact right now, if you ask me. I just hope that the NBA doesn't overlook them because they're great talents. And Miles Powell, I really, really like his game. Uh, my, my little brother, he, he loved Miles Powell. He actually really pointed him out to me a couple of years ago. And um, I think it's, it's a great thing to watch the players' development. You know, like a lot of players just do the one and done and they leave. But like how we were saying earlier with Marcus Howard, when you start your freshman year averaging 13 points, which is great for a freshman, by the way, that's an immediate impact. But end your career averaging 27 points. It's just like, how do you not put that person in the NBA? Because that shows that they grow. You know what I'm saying? You, and that's what you want on your roster. So um, big shout out to those two guys. I hope that they, you know, get a fair chance in the draft and 
even if they go undrafted, they, you know, get their workouts and everything is, is um, going in their favor because I definitely want to see them in the NBA uniform very, very soon. All right, so Jonathan Kaminga decides to sign to the G League. Do you think that this is going to be a huge addition to that Pathways program with Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd, or you just see him as um because he's not a regular player at all, but what, what do you think about his his addition to that uh, G League? I think that's going to be big. I think it, it's becoming a trend when you, when you think of some of the young talents who decided to do some of the some of the few that you just named as far as Jalen Green, Isaiah Todd. So having that having that pathway of, of having that option to go to the G League and play professionally and get that that professional level of experience and mission missing college I think that that's good it's become a trendset and it's no different than what we're expecting to see when some of these young players commit to these HBCUs it's something that's been unfamiliar but people are willing to ride with and support so I think that that is going to be and I'm looking forward to see how it plays out for them in the G League and of course they got to go get them dollars we can't, we can't leave that out of there yeah we, we're not leaving 500,000 on the table that's that's a lot of money yeah, from going yeah. from zero dollars to 500k I mean that's way more than your average salary per year <laughs> Exactly. So, of course, these kids love basketball. They they live and breathe and die for this sport. That is amazing. But then again, you you never can you never can forget about the money when money's on the table. So, I commend these young talents for doing what they do. So, I'm looking forward to seeing them. Yeah, it's a fact. Orlando and the Clippers in the NBA. You know, finally the the scrimmages are going down. I caught a couple of clips. PG thirteen look good out there. I have to ask you this about PG when it comes to Paul George. What is the difference that you really see in him from Indiana Paul George to OKC Paul George and LA Clippers Paul George? Not to mention, we still have to put into account that he had that gruesome injury in the Olympics right before uh, their season actually started in terms of the Olympics. But like, what's your, what's your take on that? I think Paul George, what I have to pick out from watching him now play with the Clippers after departing from Indiana and playing with, with OKC. He was a dog at Indiana. Can't sleep on that. Dog. So I, so, so watching him play now with the Clippers, I think that he's, he's learned his pace. He now plays where he doesn't have to go full speed or full steam ahead because he has other players on his team that allow him to sometimes take a back seat. When you talk about Kawhi Leonard, the league MVP last year, NBA champion with the Toronto Raptors, Lou Williams, who I saw doing well, arguably the sixth man of the year every single year. He had a big day yesterday playing in the scrimmage against Orlando. So I think that for Paul George, I think it has allowed him to play under control and at a steady pace and allow the game to come to him. And you saw that yesterday. He was very fluent, played with an emotion, allowed himself to get into it. He's going to be a highlight reel. We saw some highlights in there under the basket finishes, getting to the basket, finishing strong. So I think his pace has been what I've been able to point out since playing with the, with the Clippers because he has so many other other weapons around him. Um, we're hoping that Montrez Hero and Pat Bev can also join back with the team soon too. Mm-hmm. I think you hit a key point as we look at players and they transition into different roles. Sometimes we kind of have like a false expectation for them. Now, when I say that, when I think of Paul George, automatically Indiana always comes to my mind first, right? But like you said, he has those other key components around him now where everything that he was doing in Indiana, he doesn't have to do in LA, right? He doesn't have to push the ball and control the offense the way he does. He can really just focus more along his game, right? I feel like in Indiana, he was a full-court player. Now he's more of like a half-court setting type of guy. 
if if that makes sense. Um, he slows the pace down. He controls the offense, and he takes what the defense gives him. You know, before in the end, he had to get everyone else involved. He had to play more defense. When when you think of Paul George, you don't really think of him playing defense like that anymore. At least my opinion. When I think about him playing defense, that was when he was going up against LeBron. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Lance Stevenson was there, David West was there, but that was Paul George's matchup, LeBron. But I don't know. I feel like his game is really it switched a little bit. I feel like he shoots way more threes now. He didn't do that before. I think like he's way more of a shooter. Um, I, but I, I still kind of like the Indiana Paul George better though, even though he's in a, a different system. But like you said, he he suffered a a gruesome leg injury, so that yeah. that kind of that kind of wavers his his tenacity to be able to take it to the basket or maybe even his mental or self-confidence. So I think that that's something that we're going to continue to see him get back. We see it in spurts, him getting to the basket, him having highlight dunks. But I think expanding his game to the three-point line, being able to finish from beyond the three, getting to the basket, knocking down mid-ranges as well. So I think I think his game is really coming to a motion and he, allowed, he allows himself to, to play under control and, and let the game come to him, but also understand that he has other weapons that he can utilize too. The NBA players are doing an amazing job of pushing the narrative of Breonna Taylor, right? Tobias Harris did a great job. I saw um, CJ McCollum do a great job. Uh, Jerry and Grant did a great, a great job, excuse me. And even though a lot of people were concerned about Black Lives Matter movement being foreshadowed, they're going into the interviews, they're being respectful, but they're still letting them know that this is why we're here. You know, basketball is back, but we still need justice for Breonna Taylor. So it was really refreshing to see Tobias Harris, you know, say what he had to say in a respectful way, but still push the narrative and um, let them know that basketball is here, but we still need this situation to be resolved. Of course, when you have a big platform like some of these NBA players have, you want to make sure that you can use it in any way possible, especially for a positive matter. So when you talk about getting the fair treatment and bringing justice to people who've done wrong or bring justice to the people who've been done wrong. I think that that is a tremendous outlook that Tobias Harris has done, bringing awareness to Breonna Taylor's death and bringing justice or hoping to bring justice to her um, unsolved situation so far. So I think that that's great that these players are using that platform to, to still speak out and, and do what they need to do to, to bring awareness because their platform is big and, and they have a voice that, that most Americans don't have. And I think that it's great to use that stage to do that. Yeah, huge shout out to them and a hats off to the NBA for that as well. So we get to our favorite part of the show where we do tell me what's on your mind. We get to touch on a few other topics outside of ball. August Alcina drops the Entanglement song <laughs> featuring Rick Ross. Oh, my bad. Not featuring and Rick Ross. I'm not going to lie to you. The, the song came out a few days ago. It came out early in the morning. How do you feel about that? Like, he, to me, it's looking as though Jada said her piece, Will said his piece, and he's being respectful about it, right? And... My take on it, I really don't believe that Will Smith has to go blow for blow with August Alcina because that's his wife. He's not fighting for something. It's already his, right? So when August Alcina makes this entanglement song, why do you think he does that? Like, what, what, what is he still trying to get at? Because now he's capitalizing off of a situation. Well, I have not listened to the song. I did see that it was dropped. I did mm-hmm. see that you know he he spilled his emotions into a, a great song i guess that everyone has rallied behind or listened to but 
I'm just over it, man. Like you said, I think that Will and Jada both spoke their piece. I think that he spoke his 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 half uh, when he spoke with Angela Yee. He did he then again spoke with Little Wayne on Little Wayne's mm-hmm. podcast. So I think that if every adult in this situation has spoken their piece, then I think that we should let it be what it's going to be. Because at the end of the day, like you just said, she belongs to Will. So no matter what, no matter what entanglement, it doesn't matter how many songs you make, she's still with Will. So like, when do you just chill, kind of? You know, like you. I feel like you kind of look like the person that's bad now because you're consistently trying to push that narrative. Like, oh, Jada stepped out. Oh, Jada was doing this. It's like. Bro, she, she's done doing that. At the end of the day, it was a situation that happened. Every adult involved in the situation has spoken their peace, have acknowledged their wrongdoings, have acknowledged their forgiveness, and acknowledged, you know, their part in it. So I think that that's the adult thing to do. The song is just a bit overboard for me. But again, if, if it's something that he feels is his testament and his story and he wants to entangle it all up in one song, then let him go for it. Question, uh, last question for you is, is Will Smith wrong when he sees August Alcini? He's like, it's on site when I see you. Is he wrong to have that type of energy? Um, because as no. men, we both... I'm going to say, I'm 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 say, say no because... We, we're not talking about none of this if August Alcina doesn't bring it to the table. Right. Because you got to think about it. Literally, this, this, is, this, is, this is old. Right. This is old. So, like, to, to our knowledge, this is like two, three, four years old. Right. So, to me, I think that will, I mean, I think he will. I mean, how much more can you take as a man? Like I, like I said before, it's his wife, but as a man, it's like, I feel like you're being disrespectful now. My family um, looked after you when you were sick. You know what I'm saying? We were there for you in the time of need. Well, none like, of that we don't ma- know none everything. Of, none of, wait, wait, time out. None of that matters because you still slept with my wife after we did that. So none of that even matters. None of that okay. even matters. But at the end of the day, if he has that energy, and I mean, Will being hostile or angry towards August Alcina, I mean, he, he he's rightfully so. But again, every adult has acknowledged their part in it. Will has acknowledged that he was not with Jada when that happened. Jada acknowledged what the situation was and August spoke his piece. So let's let that be that and, and move on. Now, if he continues to, if, if he continues to drop songs, then he's just, he's just <laughs> reaching. He's just reaching at this point. But again, let him speak his piece. If your wife was Jada, you would be able to take Jada back. Jada ain't my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Jada is not my wife, man. Don't put me in that situation. Jada ain't my wife. But again, some, but that's what makes you a power couple is adversity. Sometimes things are not going to be perfect. Troy says be a power couple. It's not me, though. It's not it's me. Not, it's, it's not like I, but that's the thing about power couples, too. You don't expect any adversity. You expect everything to be perfect. Will and Jade have had problems. Beyonce and Jay have had problems. So yeah. that's just part of that's just part of being in a relationship and truly loving someone, being there for them when, when you make mistakes. Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. suited up and ready to go September 12th. Does Mike Tyson knock him out? Is Roy Jones Jr. going to drop him? What's the situation on that? And are you happy to see Mike back in the ring? Well, I'm excited to see both guys back in the ring. When you talk about in their prime, Mike Tyson in their prime, Roy Jones Jr., you're talking about two heavy hitters, guys that dominated the sport. 
So I'm very excited to see Mike Tyson suit back up and get in the ring after 15 years. I've seen the videos on IG. I've seen the training sessions. And I haven't seen much from Roy. I checked out his Instagram. I know he's in the I gym. I'm looking for him, too. I know he's, you know, he's been, he's getting his sweat in and getting his workout in, but I, I Mike think, looking I think different Mike, right now. I think Mike is about to go in there and take his head off. Personally. I get that I think, three rounds, bro. Three. I think Mike is going to take Roy Jones Jr.'s head off. And his I'm willing to place any. Smooth off. I'm, I'm willing <laughs> to take any, any bets, any mm-hmm. debates, any of that. Mike Tyson is going to beat. Roy Jones Jr. on September 12th. But again, I think that is, I also think that is dope. I don't know if you saw, but the undercard is going to be NBA player Nate Robinson up against YouTube star Jake Paul. That'll be the undercard in that fight. So I'm excited. Boxing match? Boxing. Boxing. So they're turning this whole thing into a situation. Mm -hmm. So I, I got Nate up against Jake Paul and I got Mike Tyson against Roy Jones Jr., September 12th. I knew Mike Tyson's left hook was different. I heard a commentator say his left hook would knock a horse out. What grown person is withstanding that? When Mike Tyson used to fight, if you weren't home by, like, the first or second round, the fight was over. It was over. Yeah. Like, he was knocking people out that quick. First so, round. So, I mean, huge shout-out to, yeah, huge shout-out to Roy, but I don't know, man. I, I wouldn't want none of that smoke. I agree. It, but we have to see. Yeah, yeah I, absolutely. The versus battle last night with Snoop and DMX, I felt like it was cool because I felt like I was watching two of my uncles just have fun in their living room. You know, I love the versus, the whole camaraderie of it, the whole concept. And I, they just showed mad love to each other last night, you know, so that, that was dope to see. Uh, I feel like the fans went both ways. A lot of people like what Snoop did. A lot of people like what DMX did. I felt like DMX ran out of breath a couple times, forgot a couple words. <laughs> but it, so it was just good to see him in action, though. It was good. It was good. We got to understand, that's a dog that had been through a lot. You know what I mean? We no, a lot. DMX. You're right. He's, been, he's right. been through a lot. So for, for him to even be on that platform, mm-hmm. standing up there, to be able blessing. to do that Snoop is a blessing in itself. So I think that that was great. And it, it was good for hip hop to see those two. I think it was just it was so it was so weary to just see how you could just match a hit for hit a hit for mm-hmm. hit. It was just it was like these guys are just solidified legends in the game. And I think it was it was great to see Uncle Snoop with his energy, his charisma, his dance moves. You know, go out there and spit his bars and drop the hits that we love to hear. And the same from DMX. I know he was a little short-winded, did need a little five-minute <laughs> bathroom break and everything, but he still got up there, did what he needed to do, and put on for the Rough Riders and, and, and hip-hop. Even that, just that bathroom break and how Snoop just orchestrated that whole situation, even though it was a quick pause, you know, five, seven minutes, they still made it a moment, you know, which, which is a beautiful thing about Versus TV, like I said before, and I really love that. So huge shout-out to our culture for doing that, man. Because we 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 definitely needed that. Yeah, Timberland and Timberland and Swiss Beats, they they put they got something, something. They, they put something That's... good together. But I have to and and so unfortunate that we have to do this, but we have to we have to commend this to, to this pandemic because without this happening, we don't yeah. get that platform. You know what I mean? And it's I heard it was supposed that. to be a TV show though. It was exactly. supposed to be. But because right. of how everything was going, they just said let's start it up now. Exactly. So I think that is great to see how 
what, what the positives have been able to come out of this 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 unfortunate circumstance when we're still dealing with this pandemic. So come in to, to, to Swiss Beats and Timberland for putting up the versus battle and, and shout out to Uncle Snoop and DMX for holding it down for the dogs yesterday. NBA so far, no players have tested positive for COVID-19. And this is just a great position that now the NBA is heading in now after having Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Kevin Durant. I mean, the list just goes on. Spencer Dinwiddie, this is just a great position for the NBA to be in now. And um, like me and you spoke before about, I still stand on it. I thought it was all fun and games until an elite all-star or superstar got sick. And that's exactly what happened. So seeing Russell Westbrook back, um, after quarantine with his family and everything yesterday was um, was great. I agree. I think that it's good for the NBA to see that no players have tested positive. I did see, you know, guys like Russell Westbrook, Eric Bledsoe, you know, who's been, you know, who are now back in the bubble after quarantining. I think that it's great that those two players could be back with their teams. But you have to always consider, too, that there are players who plan to return to the bubble that are also out. We talk about Zion Williamson, talk about Montrez Harrell, Patrick Beverly, those are three guys, two being on the same team with the Clippers when we talk about Harold and Beverly. So I think that, you know, it's great that they are going to take care of their, their family emergencies or their medical, their own personal emergencies. But you run that risk when you go outside that bubble and you interact with, with, with people outside of that. And then you have to now go back. And we do, from our, my understanding, they are being tested daily before they before they decide to go back to the bubble. But again, you still run that risk. And with this virus, you just don't know. So I think that it's going to be interesting to see those players come back and return with their teams after being outside of the bubble. Absolutely. Still staying with the NBA for a quick moment. A couple times I've seen on Instagram that Kobe Bryant said that Jay Rose was his favorite player when he was 16. Give me a little insight on that. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, what else do you need for me to say? You just heard rest in peace. One of the greatest guys, greatest basketball players to ever touch a basketball say that when he was 16, Jalen Rose was his favorite basketball player. I think that that's great. And, you know, at that time, my uncle playing alongside guys like Chris Weber, Juwan Howard, Jimmy King and Ray Jackson at Michigan, I think that they they changed the game of basketball and they made a lot of young, talented players look at them and say, you know what, I want to be like them. And I, I think for my uncle, you know, Jalen, I think that it's big to have someone like a Kobe Bryant and impact that he's had on the game and the way that he changed the culture of sports and basketball in particular to say that he looked up to him at some point. So I think that that, I think that, that was big. And I know for my uncle, it's truly an honor. When you were younger, were, did you go to any of the Fat Five games? Well, Fat Five was before my time. You know what I mean? They they well, were 90, that was 90... 91, 92. Oh, yeah. So what? You were born in 90 what? I was born in 96. You know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. I, you I, missed up by a long yeah. shot. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I was I never I never saw the fast. It wasn't even in the pictures. No, but of course it was it was a great experience seeing my uncle play over his his 13 year NBA career. Okay, now that's valid. Charles Barkley had made some comments against well towards Steven Jackson about his anti-Semitic comments. I, I don't know why I feel like we keep ending up at this point when it's coming to black journalists and using their voice because like me and you have spoke off off the podcast. I think it's a matter of time, really, like in the time is now where Steven Jackson is just going to be fed up, right? <laughs> that, that Instagram post, is, as soon as I saw it, I sent that right to you. And he told Charles Barkley to keep that same energy and to keep my name out of your mouth, right? 
and Charles Barkley, I felt like his take on it really was like he doesn't understand how we as people, I guess black people can continue to bash other races if we're trying to move forward. And like we've said before, I don't think Steven Jackson was bashing other races. He just was politically wrong in the way that he stated how he felt. You know, he has his hashtag love for all who love all, I believe it is. And um, do you think Charles Barkley was wrong for saying what he said? And, and what do you think is the best way, I, I again, with us being in this situation for him to handle this with Steven Jackson? Well, I would have to agree with what Charles Barkley said when he said that if, if we want to be treated equally, we, we can't we can't insult or hurt other other ethnicities that that that'll never be the that's way. that's not going to do anything that that'll never be the way. I, so I do commend that. But I, I also think that a lot of times when you see people younger than you or maybe even older than you at times that don't necessarily understand certain avenues when you talk about fair treatment when you talk about justice we talk about equality i think that it should be your goal and your mission to try and help them to try to inform them to try to educate them not bring them down and not and not demean them and when, when charles barkley spoke he he put names with it he said to sean he did. jackson he did he, he threw Stephen names jackson out. He said Ice Cube. So he, he put names with it. So I can commend him that because he wants people to be held accountable. But again, Stephen Jackson, I feel that he has done a great job with, with advocating and being a voice for George Floyd, for Breonna Taylor, and for the whole African-American community. I think he's done a great job with that. But again, I think that to, to, to your point, we, we can't insult other people. I heard a lot of explicit, I heard a lot of negative tones and insults toward Charles Barkley from Steven Jackson. So I think that if you're going to continue to be a leader and continue to be, you know, who you are as far as pushing for rights and, and equal equality, that you have to lead by that. And, and, it, and it starts with your own ethnicity. So how can we expect you to treat a white man right or, or a Hispanic man right when you won't even talk to your own brother right? So I think that that has to be the tone in which we have to figure out and, and walk in that faith to know that if I don't know something, I'm not going to be scrutinized or interrogated about, but someone who's in my position or could feel my pain and be able to educate me. And I hope that that's what Charles Barkley and Stephen Jackson will be able to do because it's, it's enough for all this going back and forth because at the end of the day, we all have the same mission. So it's our goal to do what we can to work together to get that goal accomplished. Yeah, and it's something else you uh, you alluded to. I think... Steven Jackson is recognizing that he's more than just somebody that sits on the jump or get up. Like now he's stepped into the political realm, which is a whole nother ball game, you know? So people are going to hold him accountable for more things now, you know? And he's in the trenches. He's out there. He's helping the people see him all the time on Instagram, you know? And I just think he just has to be aware. I don't think, I don't know. I, I, I knew this time was coming. I'm not going to say it's wrong, but I knew it was a matter of time before he got fed up with somebody else speaking about him. I, I feel like a lot of that energy is kind of coming from what him and Stephen A. Smith had. And Charles Barkley was just really the icing on the cake. He, he wasn't taking it from anybody else, in my opinion. So I just think he needs to stay well-rounded, stay educated with a lot of different things that he may not be educated on, because if he's going to continue to step onto these podiums, make these speeches, be on TV, he has to be well-versed in everything that's going on, on the political side and within the athletics. 
And I would wonder, I'm wondering now when I see Tobias Harris and all of the different athletes speaking, how he feels when he feels as though he felt that the NBA would be a distraction. I wonder if he feels as though they're doing their part while still playing basketball. You know, so I would be real curious to hear his take on that as well, too. Same. I, I would be very curious to hear that. But, you know, until then, I just hope that these these brothers, these black men can find a way to agree to disagree. And if they do disagree, find a way to to help one another understand their point of view. Off camera. No negative, off camera. No negative shots, no shades, no insults. And, and just really educate one another. Uh, that's a fact. Big facts. I want to ask you a question. Talk we're to still me. on the topic of the NBA. We, we, we know it's a lot of hype around these teams coming out of the West when you talk about the Los Angeles Clippers, the Los Angeles Lakers. We know in the East, there's a lot of hype around the Milwaukee Bucks, the Boston Celtics. Is there? <laughs> it is. But when you talk about those teams, what would be a team coming out of the East and or the West that you would have to be your favorite that is not one of the four that I just named? It's two in the East and the two in the West. Oh, that is not one of them. Um, Celtics and the Bucks at the top. I'm not a fan of the Sixers at all, and they would be the runner-up. The Raptors aren't doing it. Kyle Lowry can never do it by himself. So next up would have to be the Sixers, which I don't see happening at all. It's weird. Like, on paper, they have it. Embiid, Simmons, they, they have it. You know what I'm saying? And Tobias Harris. Like, Tobias Harris is a baller. He just has to step up more, you know? Um, yeah, and on the West, I thought it was real sneaky. The Nuggets are right there. They're in third place. The Jazz are right there. Can't sleep on Donovan Mitchell. I was so proud of Donovan Mitchell, his rookie year in the NBA, when they played against the <laughs> Oklahoma City Thunder, and they bust Russell Westbrook's ass. <laughs> like, it was bad, bro. They beat them like 42, so... Donovan Mitchell, the Utah Jazz, the Denver Nuggets, and I'll, I'll take Philly um, as, as the sleepers. But um, hopefully the Pelicans can slide in just to see them because I want to see those young boys get in there. That would be good, too. I want to see them grab an eight-seed. It, it would be good to see Lonzo, Ingram, Zion just go up against the Lakers in the first round. I would love to see that. Put them, them young boys, put them old dogs to work. You know, that that would be real good to see. Make Lake LeBron run up and down that court a little bit. So Denver, Philly, and what was it? Denver, Philly, Utah. and um, the Jazz, yeah. Okay. So I will have to agree coming out of the East. With yeah, there's nobody else coming out of besides them. I mean, you can't sleep. Miami was a team that a lot of people were talking Come about. Come on, here man. Don't do that. Miami, we can't, but we're talking about coming out of the East. We're not talking about the West. So then there's no way Miami's coming out the Heat. So there's a, no way, way. there's a way, but I would have to, I would have to say that for me, I would go with Philadelphia. I think that this year could be a year. And after everything that's gone on and now getting back to play, Ben Simmons getting back to good health, Tobias Harris, hopefully he could be able to play at a consistent level, be a consistent attribute to the team on both ends of the floor, offensively and defensively. And Joel Embiid coming into a groove, being able to play around the basket, stretch the floor, be a big man, create his presence on defense. So I think for Philadelphia, I would, I definitely have confidence in them when you talk about, you know, being a, being a team that could, could possibly take things by storm coming out of the East. But when I look over to the West, I think I'm going to have to go with Denver. And I think a lot of my opinion comes based on what I watched yesterday in that scrimmage. Okay. Bo, Bo. Oh, here we go. 
Boom. You on the bowl, bowl wave? Boom. I saw 16 points, 10 rebounds, and six blocks yesterday in that scrimmage from that young That's man. That's a lot of block. Okay. And when I saw his game, when I saw him get the ball on the fast break, come up and pull the three like KD did against LeBron mm. in, in, in the NBA Finals, when I, when I see him get the ball on the fast break, come over with the Euro miss and go back with the two-hand slam, I definitely do have team. I definitely do have confidence in that team. We talk about Bowl Bowl being able to play the four, talk about the Joker playing the five. I saw Miles Plumley. He's coming into yeah. a group. Have Denver got a squad. On, can't sleep on Jamal Murray, the way that he can be explosive and get to the basket. Better not sleep on that, man. And three-point land. So I think for me, I, I would have to. I like I Denver. Have to, uh, I have I like to run Denver. with Denver. Doesn't Denver have one of their guards who's from Michigan State? Gary Harris. No, not Gary. I wasn't talking about. I like Gary Harris a lot. Not him. Mm-hmm. Uh, dang, I think it's someone else. Gary Harris been in the league like six, seven years now too. He's one of my um, favorites coming out of Michigan State. Damn, what's his last four, name? Five. I can't even think of the guy's name, man. To be honest mm-hmm. with you, but yeah, I like Denver a lot. They're they're growing. Like you can't sleep on them, like you were saying. You can't mm-hmm. because they don't have. Oh my bad. They don't have all of the all-star names but they have that caliber of talent that young talent where if you discredit them just a little bit or don't put enough pressure on them they'll beat you correct they will beat you yeah like jamal murray he's he's rising to the occasion he's developing he was a dog at kentucky gary harris is ready the joker Mm -hmm. is ready like the joker is like oh yeah him too the joker he just makes these like elite passes with like one arm Mm-hmm. That that one arm baseball pass, mm-hmm. similar to elite. Kevin Love. I was gonna say that, but I think he's a better passer than Kevin Love. Not 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 Minnesota Timberwolves Kevin Love. Kevin Love now, yes. Not Minnesota Timberwolves Kevin. Oh, Love. No, I'm talking passing. You're talking overall passing. Minnesota Timberwolves Kevin Love, easily the best passing big man when he played for the Minnesota Timberwolves of all time. Easy. In his, in his still, first few seasons with the Cavs, because he was passing that ball to LeBron. Crazy. And, and of course, those two. But when I talk about being literally the best big man passer that I have okay. been able to see in my lifetime, Kevin Love when he played for the Minnesota Timberwolves, without a doubt. I feel like there's another big man that could pass the ball really well that I can't think of right now. I can't think. I gotta text you will, if I remember. Will you let me know. <laughs> I can't think right now at the top of my head, but there's a few big men out there that could that could really really pass, but. I take that though. And before we head out here, before my, my my good brother Robert Bruin gives the outro, I wanna I wanna send my condolences and my sympathy to the family of Tony Martin, who was a Michigan State track star who was gunned down in his hometown of Saginaw this past weekend. So I just wanted to to come on here and give my respect and my condolences to his family and his friends. Um, he's someone who. You know, I've brushed shoulders with. I've seen out in public on the Michigan State campus. So I think that it's definitely unfortunate. And um, I just wanted to consent my condolences to his family and his friend. Yeah, no, big shout out to his family. Um, it's just a tough time that we live in there right now. So we definitely hope that his family is, is getting through everything together. And it's it's a tough loss. You know, we, we never want to see our young black men going out like that. All right. Of All right, guys. So we appreciate everybody tuning in. There's so many things that you could be believing in today, but you chose to believe in the NBA Prospects podcast with me and T. Rose. Sorry we got you guys back on this Thursday. We usually record on Monday, but we appreciate y'all patiently tuning in with us today. 
and we out of here. We'll catch you guys next Monday. Don't stop believing. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.